This episode is brought to you by Beta Next. Beta Next powers the future of connected wealth, providing frictionless wealth management enterprise solutions, real-time data capabilities, and an enhanced wealth advisor experience. Through their software, data, and operations as a services approach, they empower their clients to deliver a comprehensive end-to-end advisor and investor experience. To learn more, visit betanext.com. That's betanext.com, B-E-T-A-N-X-T.com. The wealth tech revolution is now. Wealthstack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida, May 21st to the 24th, and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0, and be sure to search Wealthstack to find out more. Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by a guy that needs little introduction. So whether you know him as KVP, KV Pancakes, or simply Kyle Van Pelt, he's now the CEO of MileMarker, the company focused on solving key data and integration problems that are hindering progress inside of today's leading financial services companies. Very ambitious. I love it. Kyle, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Shannon. So we've certainly come a long way, my friend, from awkward video interviews to our come-ups in this industry. It's honestly been a wild and unconventional ride for both of us. So I'm so happy to see you in a leadership role like this. Honestly, it just seems like a perfect fit. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I was laughing at some of the comments on LinkedIn when you posted we were doing this, you know, uh, everybody knowing us from the early days to where we're at today. Um, I think there was comments about we're troublesome to some and whatnot, and they couldn't be more right. Uh, but yet here we are, and uh, I'm thankful for the kind words. <laughs> Likewise, you know, it was fun to see everyone's kind of reaction to it whenever we do something together. So appreciate you uh, being part of the Wellstack podcast, but I, I do want to dive right into it. So let's get to segment one. You know what's coming first, stats all folks. And because you can handle it, I'm actually going to throw three stats at you at once. So let's talk data. McKinsey found that businesses that make decisions based on quantitative data were 23 times more likely to bring in new customers, six times more likely to hold on existing ones, and 19 times more likely to turn a profit. Seems like we're finally understanding how to harness the power of data, right? We're getting there. We have a long way to go. But those stats, I think, tie a little bit back into why we call the company Mile Marker. Uh, If you and I went to start out on a journey and we knew that we wanted to walk from New York to California, uh, we would know we need to head west, but likely we would not go on the most efficient or effective path for us to get to California. So, you know, smart people built these things as highways with mile markers on them to know how far you have progressed uh, on your journey and where you want to go. So using data, I think people have known this objectively, but we're getting better at it. Using data you can know what types of customers should you be marketing to. You can know, is the marketing that we're doing working properly? You can know, are these advisors more productive and effective than other advisors? And then you can go and find out why they're being more productive or effective than other advisors and figure out how to lift up your entire company. But if you just look at every customer is the same, every advisor is the same, you know, everything's the same, and we're all just heading towards some big journey, an AUM target or whatever it is, 
you might eventually get there, but it's going to be like walking from California to New York rather than using the highway. Oh my goodness. You have improved your analogy game since our <laughs> early video days. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. So we're obviously finally wrapping our heads around big data, and but our industry really continues to struggle with the challenge around integration. There's still a lot of over-promised, under-delivered solutions. And Mile Marker, as I understand it, is an integration as a service company. At a high level, what does that mean and, and what are the benefits? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think the reason uh, we've spent a lot of time thinking about why integrations don't work, and I think that there's some nuance to it. So integrations work fine if you're trying to pull a client's information from a CRM into your portfolio accounting system, or maybe you need to get you know high-level information about that client into your planning system so that you can start. Some of the advisor workflows, I think, are actually pretty well integrated. But where the integration challenges start to get really difficult, we're going to go for another analogy. Maybe this will be the podcast of analogies. But I think about it like a, a nice restaurant. So uh, the front of house where you're sitting and you're having a good experience, uh, the, the server might come up and take your order and they're going to write down what's going on in the ticket. So that front of house, I think, is actually pretty well integrated. That's where the CRM is talking to the portfolio management system or the planning system or things like that. That works okay. But the challenge is so much of the effort that happens to serve clients happens in like the back of house of a restaurant. So how do you take that ticket, which is what the client needs, what the advisor talked to the client about, and walk it to the kitchen, which is supposed to just be an efficiency machine of being able to crank out all of the things that a wealth management business needs to do every day. Uh, you talk to lots of advisory firms, we do too. Every advice firm has to open accounts they have to do RMDs. They have to do all of the same things. There's no differentiation in those because they're regulatory requirements, and this is how these businesses work. That is what we have found uh, is the big breakdown point in the integration side. So when the advisor actually does the work with their client on the front side, how do we get that integrated into the operations factory? Um and the, the solve, at least what we've seen, is that the firm needs to have complete control over all of their data. So integration as a service is just a fun way of saying, how do we take the data from all of those existing silos you have and pull them into one place that you can use that data, analyze that data, all unified in a way? Because I think, you know, if you'll, if you'll indulge me for a second, too, on this. There's been a lot of promise of like the perfect silo. Everybody's trying to build this perfect system that everybody's going to go put everything in and it's all going to work amazing. It's going to have perfect asset management and proposals and all of that stuff. The challenge is that's just not what the real world looks like. People aren't going to take all of the silos that they're already doing business on the way they do everything out of their business to use your perfect silo. That's a massive amount of trust you're asking the client to give you. So uh, we have found a lot of success in saying, well, no, leave those silos in place that you have. We'll connect all of them into one experience that you control um, and that you have full creative control over. Now, if you want to change one of those silos over time, you can, but it's totally up to you and it's within your control. And that's creating a much better integrated experience for advisors and home offices. Makes sense. Hey, two for two on the analogies. We're doing really well right now. <laughs> no, yeah. and, and it's a complex topic. So it, it honestly, that makes absolute sense to be able to break it down in that type of terminology. So appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of terminology, you know, I'm, I'm starting to hear 
and it's not necessarily new, but I am hearing a lot of terms like data streaming and data warehousing, data lakes, pools. It sounds like a trip to a cabin in the woods or something, but you know, <laughs> what the heck does it actually all mean? And, and why do advisors need to be aware of it? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a good sag off of what we were just talking about. The reason you want a data warehouse is all of these firms are creating big data, but they live in 15, 20 different places all over. And it's difficult to do anything with that. If, if you want to run business intelligence right now, you have to run business intelligence on each individual tool because all of those are little you know, swimming pools, if you will. The industry is now working really hard to pull those into a giant, you know, unified data place where you can look at the data from your portfolio management system, your CRM, your planning. But that's just the wealth management technology. What we're really excited about is we're starting to see people pull their marketing analytics in with this, their marketing automation systems in with this, all of the other, their their QuickBooks or their accounting systems in as well. So you can start to look and see are, are certain clients more profitable than others? All of that when you unify it. Data streaming is a little different and that one I think is, is exciting. So, you know, we partner closely with Orion. Orion has moved all of their business onto AWS's cloud and then they've turned on the ability to do real-time data streaming. So getting in the weeds a bit for folks, but the way that data has been passed historically at every company I've been at, is people would send you, if you need large amounts of data, you would get one file feed every morning at like four o'clock in the morning with all of this huge amount of data. And that would be the update of the data. And then you would go use APIs to do these little one-off things. The problem is by lunchtime, that giant file of data you got that morning is completely out of date and stale. But we had no better way to uh, communicate that because of how the industry had done things. Orion has really been a bit of a pioneer on this because what they've said is, instead of a big file, you can connect directly to our cloud and data warehouse and stream data real time through their, you know, what they're doing. So right now I have a client that I can look at data from Orion that's less than an hour old that has been updated in real time through custodians, through things like that. Imagine how to make more strategic decisions with data that's less than an hour old versus data that was, you know, most recently refreshed at four o'clock this morning. Your business changes a lot throughout the day. So you should not be hamstrung by the data that you had from yesterday. You should be able to have real-time data. And that's what data streaming is enabling. And uh, we're excited about more and more people getting into that. That's really interesting in, in, in typical fashion. It just seems like our industry is, is finally catching on to this because you are seeing in other sectors, heck, even in sports, you're you're seeing data streaming come to life and, and really ultimately change the game. So it, it is encouraging to see that we're finally waking up to this a little bit and, and how this is ultimately going to add value. I mean, that's such an easy value prop sale right there just to say, hey, you can look at your data in real time and make better decisions for your firm, your practice, because it goes back to to hearing that word scale that we hear all the time. Like, <laughs> what does that actually mean? We all use it, you know, being a marketer, I've definitely thrown it around, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, what does it actually mean? And I feel like that is the perfect definition, right? Is being able to utilize and pull in big data, another, you know, industry jargon that we love to use, but then being able to put it into practice immediately and make those real-time decisions to help, you know, grow your business, which actually is a perfect uh, way to lead into my next question I had and where you're seeing tech add value to advisors, businesses, you know, where are firms taking the time to implement technology? Yeah. Um, 
so we're in a lot of advisors offices right now. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is people trying to create what, what we refer to as a digital office. So I think the, the, the problem they're trying to solve is, and COVID obviously accelerated this for a lot of different people, but most advisory firms have built their client experience and their process around you coming to the office. And that was already changing, but they had built this, this beautiful way of when you walk in, you know, you're offered your favorite drink and they knew a lot about you and they could really personalize the experience when you came to the office to meet with an advisor. It was really difficult to create that type of personalized experience digitally because all we have is a Zoom meeting and, you know, maybe some technology we're using to put in front of you. So we're, we're watching firms try to figure out how to put forth their differentiation in a digital way. Um, and I think a lot of people talk about client portals in that or advisor experiences or, or, or whatever, but that's what I've boiled it down into, which is every firm has to do the same things. We've already talked about that. Everybody's opening accounts. They're doing RMDs. They're doing client reviews. 80% of a wealth management firm is the same processes as every other wealth management firm. And almost all of these firms are using the same core pieces of technology. So what truly differentiates one wealth management firm from another and not to be cliche or cheesy, but it's the person sitting in the chair. It's the actual advisor. It's the leaders at the firm. And that is where the differentiation lives. So how can firms invest in technology to help put forth that level of differentiation digitally as much as they can in person? And it's funny because at the end of the day, the client doesn't care what CRM you're using, you know, what tools you're using on the back end or what you're using in the back office. It's like you said, it goes back to that relationship management and what they can offer and ultimately tie it all together and can technology enable and enhance that relationship. So I think you worded that perfectly. Jeez. And <laughs> so when it comes to, you know, we're talking about innovation and and what's happening around AI and machine learning, how is that ultimately helping improve the client experience and how did good data practices fit into all that? You know, in your opinion, what does a good data practice even look like? Yeah, man, we, we think about this a lot. I mean, data is like oxygen and, it, you know, we all need clean oxygen to breathe, to live, but it's hard to look and see that oxygen and whether or not it is clean or if it's dirty or if it is dirty, what do I really do about it? Or, you know, it's just sort of this thing that is and, and is always around us in firms. And so people know, hey, I need to have clean data to work with, but I wouldn't even know the first step about what to do with it. It just feels like such a big abstract pro uh, problem. And so, you know, on the specific data practices, what we've seen for folks is that you need to actually create this really a process problem. So you need to go in and create a standardized digital way where data enters your firm and nobody's allowed to handwrite things anymore and nobody's allowed to key things in. You know, this data is, is entered digitally with required fields and forms so that you don't have a problem. One of the, the big issues that happens is maybe uh, a client in the system would be Shannon Rosick in, you know, the CRM, and it might be S Rosick in the financial planning system. And, you know, it might be a, a host of other things. And so how do you marry that together? It's one person. Well, that's because there wasn't a standardized way of entering that. So we've encouraged people to use a tool to, uh, to standardize how you enter data into your firm. And then you go back and clean up the data from before. 
Because a lot of the trepidation that we've seen is, hey, I'm going to go through this huge process. We're going to get our data clean. And less than a week later, it's going to be messy again because there's hundreds of people out there who are entering data in a bunch of different ways. So um, it, it is, it's an abstract problem, but that's a practical way we've seen people to solve this, which is like solve the how do you fix it going forward and make sure it's actually working in the way that you fixed it going forward and then go clean up the past and the historical. Um, but the other thing I would say is it's really infrastructure. So your other question about machine learning and AI, and I've been excited about all of this stuff for a long time. And I know there's articles being written about chat GPT-3 and all of that sort of fun stuff. But you have to get your infrastructure right for machine learning or process automation or AI to be good. The, the most powerful implementations of ChatGPT so far are the ones where they can go and actually crawl useful data. If you know the data in your firm is a mess, then ChatGPT3 or OpenAI or however you want to look at it, it's not going to be super powerful. Um, so you know that's how we look at it. We are excited because with the data streaming stuff, with all of these new things coming out, I actually think the the underlying foundation for true innovation like machine learning like process automation like ai can become a reality for advisors and, and i'm excited to see what that looks like oh oh absolutely likewise and by the way three for three on analogies now with the oxygen one so congrats <laughs> to you you're I've bat worked on batting it. a thousand here <laughs> But to kind of wrap up this segment, I would love to know who Mile Markers target market is and walk me through a use case, you know, somebody that would come to you and say, hey, I'm having having these challenges. Is there a use case or a success story that you could share? Yeah, two, I'll, I'll use two. So our target market is, is uh, like our ideal client is that firm that has figured out how to do things well, and they're now trying to become, uh, the industry would call them an aggregator or a platform. But basically, they want to tell the world, hey, advisory firm, we figured out how to help you grow really well, and you should come bolt onto our platform. Um, because what we've also found is that's where, number one, data challenges get really interesting. If you have firms that are spread out nationally, but your operations are centralized in a, in a home office somewhere, um, MileMarker is a really great solution to help you know what's going on across the, the offices nationwide, help make sure that the processes are standardized for those offices nationwide, but still let them be who they are and be differentiated. Um, because I think that's one of the big problems that we're trying to solve. Um, I'll, I'll go for another analogy, but you know, I really love the company Shopify. And I think what Shopify has done that's really interesting is, you know, you can go look at Chip and Joanna Gaines Magnolia brand runs on Shopify. So does Allbirds Shoes. So does Chubby's Shorts, right? And so does Brooklyn and Sheets. These are four remarkably different companies. And you go to each of their websites and their brand is reflected really well. Like you see Chip and Joanna on that Magnolia website or you see the Chubby's brand reflected. But all of that runs on the same infrastructure with is Shopify, Right. So in, in my analogy here, that home office aggregator is the infrastructure platform and you're letting each firm be that that storefront or brand out in their market. And, and, and having all of that data integrated and centralized in a powerful way is what MileMarker has built for firms like that. So, you know, if you're a solo advisor with an admin, I, I don't know if you're going to have the problems that MileMarker is really solving. Um, but once you start to get a couple of different offices and, and you are, are spaced out and remote, MileMarker, that's our type of client. So that's a use case. The other one I'll tell you quickly that, um, you know, we, we love is we want to see your gnarly spreadsheets. Um, so we have a we have a client that, 
you know, their quarter end payout process was taking much longer than they wanted. And they had this like 80 tab spreadsheet, which was how they were running their payout process because they had Anxiety. to integrate. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, and it was like each office had a tab and they had to, you know, they had to get data from the portfolio management system and from their finance system and their CRM. And they would do all these V lookups and all this crazy stuff to then spit out a number and go, I think this is what an advisor is supposed to be paid. And then, you know, they would go to the advisor and it's like, does this look right? So now for that client, we've gotten rid of the gnarly spreadsheet. They have all of that centralized in a, in a cloud product. Um, and we've taken their multi-week process at the end of a quarter time to like now, like less than two hours for them to do it. And they can populate out in real time again. Every advisor can know what am I going to be paid at the end of the quarter based off of the data that's running in here. So there's less inaccuracy, there's less disputes between advisors and their firms, and that process is now uh, like roughly 12 times more efficient. So that's also just a way that harnessing and unifying data has made a firm go faster. Amazing. Well, thank you for talking all things data with me, but it's now time for segment two of this episode, Ask Us Anything, where we've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. So let's take a look to see who slid into the DMs this time. <laughs> uh, I actually had a question that I'm selfishly going to ask before we get to, to others, but you made me laugh on a recent webinar you were on. You were discussing how advisors now have to focus on being tech specialists. And you said, we call that the accidental CTO. Can advisors even avoid that at this point? I don't think so. Um, I do think that it's it's a position that they're going to have to think about investing in as we go forward in the future. But you're a marketer. Uh, when we were looking at our total addressable market, you know, at MileMarker, we're like, oh, well, let's go target CTOs at firms, and and so we're looking at you know, firms that have over a billion dollars in AUM and all of these sort of things. And, you know, we find 10,000 companies that we think fit our mold. But then we look and Shannon, there was less than 11 companies that had a CTO out of 10,000. And then if I'm like, okay, well, maybe they're not C-level, like maybe they're a director of technology or something. The punchline is less than 30 companies out of 10,000 firms that sort of fit the other demographics that we thought made sense for us had a full-time dedicated technology you know, person. So what that means to me is somebody in that firm has basically been given the job of head of technology. Most of the time they're in the operations department or they were the founder of the firm. And it is, they're an accidental CTO. Somebody said, hey, it's now your job to figure out how to understand how all of these things work. And the challenge with that is, um, you know, I was talking to one of our clients the other day and they said, you need a PhD to understand how some of these systems really work. Yeah, maybe lots of people have adopted some of the core pieces of technology in the space, but I guarantee you they're not getting the full, the full availability or efficiency out of each of these systems because nobody has the PhD in how to use them. So they are, they're accidental CTOs. They have to figure out how to use technology, but, but I think they're all intimidated by it and they need help. And so that's one of the areas where MileMarker partners with people. We'll help you figure out how to do this. Um, we'll even take some of that work off of their plates for them and do it for them um, because nobody should have to be an accidental CTO. That would be almost as bad as me having to be an accidental CFO. 
um, you know, which would be really bad. And I would likewise, (laughs) (laughs) same. That's why I do what I do. (laughs) Um, we did have one question come in on Twitter and my goodness, this could actually be a whole panel at, at Wellstack even. So it's a great question. Uh, so putting you in the hot seat for this one, but what are three things early stage data companies must get right in order to build scalable enterprise solutions? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think number one is kind of tied to something we we talked about briefly, but when you're building an enterprise solution, I'm going to focus in on that really quick. In, in our world, what you have to understand is you actually have two customers when you're building an enterprise solution. You have the home office or the, the HQ that is responsible for a number of advisors in the field, right? And we could debate what the term enterprise means, but to me, that is somebody who has a team or offices that are going beyond, you know, where their HQ is. And so you have to build something where that HQ root office firm can manage the data, see the data, see what's going on with everything out in the field and in the business. Um, But then you also have the customer of the end user who is going to be consuming what it is that your product's creating. So, you know, I, we have a friend in the industry who has said a couple of times, I think on webinars, I won't name them in case they haven't said it publicly, but basically that nobody in this space builds technology for aggregators or for people who are trying to grow through adding advisor. They all build technology just for that end advisor. And then all of a sudden they get a deal with an LPL or something, and they're trying to figure out how to make it work for the LPL home office. So um, that's one of the big things is understand you have two customers and have two people in your firm who own and understand each of those customers really uniquely. Um, the second thing is start with the end in mind of, okay, what is this going to look like if I have 10,000 people using this, 100,000 people using this at once? You know, where is it going to break? You know, what do we need to be thinking about? Because again, most people think about this in the sense of, one firm's going to use it, then another firm, then another firm. But you go roll this out with an enterprise, it's going to be rolled out to a whole lot of people like that. And you need to be able to sustain that level of, of weight on your system. And then number three, this one's maybe a little bit out there, but like build a good user experience. Enterprise doesn't mean that it has to be clunky and old and, and, and difficult to work with. Um, you can still create delightful experiences for the big enterprise to use. And I think that that can be a cherry on top for how do they consume that data, right? Most people's enterprise data experience right now is Microsoft Excel, and that's what you're competing against. So how do you create something that makes it easier to get the data and the insights out of what you're doing than they can by doing VLOOKUPs in Microsoft Excel? Um, because that's what the habit and workflow is right now. Great answer around that. So I will be snipping that and putting that out into the universe. So (laughs) thank you for that. But another question I had for you, and I I actually saw this floating around Twitter and I thought it was really interesting and, and you were the perfect person to ask this to, but do advisors really want to own or build their platform or do they just want a platform that works at the end of the day? I don't think anybody wants to truly own and build it because the challenge is, you know, look at the R&D budgets of some of the people who are building things in this space. It gets really expensive really fast for you to own and control all of this. And I think that was another unlock that we had for why we started MileMarker. So we were just looking at some of the big aggregators, some of the, the big wirehouses and how much money they were spending on building their own experience. And it's like, what billion dollar firm or 500 million dollar firm is going to want to invest this much money to 
to not just build it, which is very expensive to build it, but often forgot is to maintain it and, and not just maintain it to make sure it stays working, but like you got to keep up with the innovation. So two years from now, when something cool comes out, you got to be able to, to, to put that into what you've built. It's really difficult. And so um, I've said this on a bunch of things, but how modern software gets built is that you rely on partners. So uh, we'll, we'll use Uber as an example. Uber, really wonderful app. They've built the thing that's really powerful to them, which is their experience in the logistics network to connect a rider and a driver. A credit card gets processed on every single Uber ride, but Uber did not build that credit card processing. They, they integrated that into how your credit card gets processed. Uh, navigation is used on every single ride, but they didn't build the navigation. Actually, they started to and they stopped because it was such a big thing to maintain that they went back to partnering with Google Maps. So they use the Google Maps API for every ride navigation, right? So no, I don't think people want to actually build and own their platform. I do think they just want a platform that works, but you cannot expect for one or several of the tech partners that you have right now that are the Google Maps API or the credit card processing to give you that perfect platform that's going to represent your differentiation. So, you, you know, that's why we started this business is we want to allow you to control what your storefront looks like, what your brand looks like on the front, and then have those other systems integrate into a platform that you own and you control, but you don't have to build or maintain. Love it. And last question for this segment, on a scale of one to 10, as things stand now, how would you rate our industry's progress around replicating the in-person advisor client experience in a digital way? I know we talked about this a little earlier, but on a yeah. scale of one to 10. <laughs> I think it's tricky. I'm, I'm going to go, I mean, I'm probably, oh, I'm going to answer this question in a, in a weird way, because I think that my answer to that direct question is probably a two or three, but I'm going to, but I'm going to, dovetail that and say, I think that the expectation is changing. Uh, my advisors here in Atlanta, and I still mostly do Zoom meetings with them because just, you know, my schedule is busy, the, the challenge of getting to the office and all of that. So I think that the expectation of the client experience is changing. And, you know, clients, everybody talks about this, and I don't think we've quite figured this out yet, but clients want you to integrate to their lives. So I think one of the challenges we've seen with like people trying to build client portals for advisors and everything is like the clients use personal capital or mint or something that they're already, it's a silo already integrated in their life. So how can you connect to the tools that they're already using, but provide your advice? And I think it's just a challenge to think that you're going to get clients to do things the way that you want them to do. Whereas the, the whole mentality and mantra of an advisor's business is how do we serve our clients? Well, you need to serve them with your experience as well. Um, and so I think, you know, connecting data and, and what the client experience, the digital client experience of the future looks like is probably a personalized one. So how do you take the data from CRM where you've got their birthday and you know about their family and you know about their hobbies and their interests, you connect that to their goals, with their plan. And now you're serving up maybe content or, or things to them proactively that they should know about and that you can serve them well in that way. So there's a big trend happening right now with like the life coaching or the life mantra rather than just being an advisor. And I think you'll start to see software solutions that mirror that more than just, hey, here's the performance of your accounts. Here's the amount of accounts that you have. Um, and here's some of your goals. And it's like, yeah, I have all of that already. So you know me better than personal capital knows me. Like, can you please serve up experiences that me and the people that are closest to me will enjoy 
um, and, and show me how to pay for those things. And that, I think, is when you'll really uh, kind of connect what the old in-office experience with a digital world looks like for advisors and clients. Well, I appreciate you being put on the spot and, and your insightful answers, but uh, we've actually come to our final segment. And I always say now that it's probably my favorite segment because you know me, I have to end with something a little fun. So <laughs> welcome to Stack It or Whack It, where I'm going to throw out a few technologies, not necessarily wealth tech related, because we certainly covered that uh, in this episode and I appreciate it. But you tell me if they're worth the hype or not. So essentially, you know, stack it or whack it. And I know you're a sports guy. So we have to talk about all the things that that AWS and the NFL are doing when it comes to the ne next gen stats. It's it's wild when you actually see it on screen and what they're doing. So again, going back to that power of harnessing data, obviously we've got a trend here, theme going, but this might be an easy one, but stack or whack AI and machine learning in sports. Yeah, I'm I'm going to stack it. I you know, and I think I never would have thought that I would have enjoyed seeing how fast a player is running on the field when they score a touchdown or, you know, the the physics of a pass to get it over the linebacker. But it's amazing when you watch that it feels like you're connecting with the sport in a much deeper way. And I'm excited to see what that version's going to be in our industry and world, but I yeah, totally stack it. And I'm sticking with sports on this segment and I had to throw a baseball question in for you. <laughs> so Pitchcom, it's an electronic device that allows catchers to transmit pitch signals to pitchers and counteract sign stealing ultimately. So think of a player wearable transmitter that allows them to communicate, you know, without using physical signs or verbal communication. And every player wearing a receiver actually hears the same instructions, you know, actually in their own chosen language. But it seems like that could maybe be a little controversial. Maybe a bit controversial, but I'm going to stack this one as well. So I was a catcher. I played catcher my entire life. And uh, the amount of times when I got a fastball thrown at me, when I called a curveball, because the complex sign system you have to put when somebody's on second base happened, um, I would like for that to never happen again. So if I had a button where I could say, this is the pitch I want you to throw, and they say, yes, I got it, I would have gladly used that uh, back in the day. So I'm I'm a big fan of Pitchcom. I'm all in. Um, and shout out to all my catchers out there. This is for our safety. <laughs> Love it. Well, Kyle, our conversations never disappoint. So thank you for humoring me on this. And please feel free to tell listeners where they can find out more about Mile Marker and everything you're working on. Yeah, the best way to find us is milemarker.co. Uh, don't put the M on the end there because you're going to go to some a uh, truck that sells electric winches or something like, or if you want to go check that out, knock yourself out, but milemarker.co. Um, you can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter as well at the same, same address, but we would love to have a conversation with you. If you want to figure out how to get rid of those gnarly spreadsheets that I know you have, you're all hiding it. You've got it hidden somewhere deep on your computer. I want to see the gnarly spreadsheet so we can help you get rid of it and actually let you take vacation um, or if you are a firm that's growing and adding advisory firms to your network, we want to help you connect all of them and make your operations more efficient. But Shannon, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And if you're looking for more content like this, don't miss our WealthStack event, part of Wealth Management Edge, May 21st through 24th in Hollywood, Florida. And be sure to follow WealthStack on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you all for listening.
The wealth tech revolution is now. Wealthstack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida, May 21st to the 24th, and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0. And be sure to search Wealthstack to find out more. Betanext powers the future of connected wealth, providing frictionless wealth management enterprise solutions, real-time data capabilities, and an enhanced wealth advisor experience. Through their software, data, and operations as a service approach, they empower their clients to deliver a comprehensive end-to-end advisor and investor experience. To learn more, visit betanext.com. That's betanext.com, B-E-T-A-N-X-T.com.